This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Many of you who I've met in person have seen my unbelievable dashboards that I built. You know, I'm an analytics-like crazy person. I love the data. And I love presenting the data in beautiful dashboards that my team can use on their mobile devices, their phones, and TVs throughout the office. Now, the way I do this without having to hire a big development team is at nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. It's using a company called Clipfolio, and I'll tell you more later on in the show how I use them. It's nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. Top Tribe, you know I don't have a lot of time to waste. That's why I use FreshBooks to send out invoices and make sure I'm collecting my money. To get your free month, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. This is episode 638, and coming up tomorrow morning, you're going to learn from Tobin Soudan with the fastest growing Canadian software company. They went from 200000 to $20 million in revenue between 2010 and 2015. Good morning, everybody. Nathan Latke here. Our guest this morning is Patrick McGinnis. He's the author of The 10% Entrepreneur, which focuses on living your startup dream without quitting your day job. He just published by Penguin Portfolio. He's also credited with coining the term fear of missing out. He's a graduate of Harvard Business School living in New York City. Patrick, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. All Let's right. go. Very good. So obviously you've got a book you're working on, but usually a book is just something extra added onto what you're already doing. So kind of give us the one or two sentences, what you do, uh, what you do kind of full time and, and how you generate revenue and wealth for yourself. And then we'll jump into more of the book. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a Wall Street refugee. I was a victim of the 2008 financial crisis. I was working at AIG at the time. Uh, I did not cause it though. And that convinced me, basically, I never I never wanted to rely on corporate America again. So I started my own advisory firm. It's basically, you know, consulting work that pays the bills. But on the side, to build real wealth, I built up a portfolio of over 20 uh, investments in, in startups and real estate and, and even a theater uh, production in London. And uh, over the last five years, that's what I've been focusing on to really you know, build that business. And this is Dirigo Investors? Uh, no, that's Dirigo is my advisory firm. This is all on the side, Patrick. Got it. Got it. Okay. So this is, these are things you're doing on the side. Okay. Paint color. One of those in for us. Tell us about one of those investments. Sure. So the first thing I ever did when I, when I started building what I call my 10%, a good friend of mine called me a former colleague and asked me to work on a startup with him that was working with YouTube celebs to, uh, to promote branded video using their, their fan bases. And so I started, you know, working with him for free. I got some stock in his company. Which company was this? It was called real influence. And, uh, I made a bunch of intros and we sold, Thanks to the intros I made, we sold about three or $400,000 worth of work. Um, but the company never really took off. So I sold my shares back. I got a couple thousand dollars. I didn't become a millionaire out of that. I became a thousand heir. But my buddy went well, on to found You did see a, upside. You didn't just get yeah, your money back. All right. More than that, I learned how to sell. I'd never sold anything. And I sat in front of somebody and sold something that was a PowerPoint, right? And, and Patrick, how old were you when this was all happening? Uh, 33, Okay, I so think. AIG, 33, going into the, this kind of social media branding space, made some money, yes. then what? And then uh, we, we, you know, we, we all we moved on with our lives. And my friend called me a year later, said, would you like to invest in my startup? 
It's called Ipsy, and Ipsy has gone on to raise over $100 million. Um, you know, I invested when it had no customers. Last report, obviously confidential now, but was at over 150,000, um, sorry, over a million customers. Um, and so it's a company that basically is one of the stars of, you know, the, the whole e-commerce space. And I was one of the first investors. So obviously huge, um, huge win for me. That's the kind was of Was this the that same guy that, that was doing the branding, the social media stuff? Yeah, same guy. Ah, uh, got it. And guys, just, you know, Ipsy is basically, I believe, uh, this is going off memory here, but it's basically like uh, curated products, uh, subscription basis, 10 bucks a month, beauty, focus, uh, and, and they're killing it. Is that, is that about right, Patrick? Yeah, absolutely. It's basically the co-founder is Michelle Fan, who right now has 8 million um, subscribers and nearly a billion video views. So it's a huge, uh, it's a huge win because all of the marketing is done through YouTube, Michelle and other celebrities that are affiliated with the company. Did Michelle and your friend CEO meet via that first business as a social media influencer? They met through his work. He worked at Funny or Die as well, and uh, they met kind of the whole video space because he was quickly emerging as a video kind of maven. And, you know, he took me along and taught me everything I know about the space. And so when he came to me with Ipsy, I understood that what he was trying to build from sort of day zero because I'd worked with him before. And so it was a really kind of a no brainer for me, even though it was kind of I'd never made an investment before. What, so what did he say? Basically, he said, I found this woman. Uh, we're going to partner to build this business around the beauty space. And we had looked at some of these beauty influencers. In fact, one of the pitches I got us when we were working on this company, Real Influence, that we uh, had worked on the year before was with um, we went with the Lauder organization. So I had a good friend who worked at Lauder, Estee Lauder. We met with the head of digital. And basically, she was like, we, we don't even know how to think about YouTube right now. And within a year, they had spent all kinds of money building a channel. So it, it was clear to me that we had we were at the right place at the right time. And the fact that Michelle had a huge customer base meant that there was no acquisition cost for the customers. We, we uh, I a lot of my listeners are exited entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, mm -hmm. people with disposable income looking to make investments. So, so what was the actual like what did what did he come to you and actually offer? I mean, was it, hey, Patrick, here, buy 10 percent of the company for 200 grand? I mean, what was it specifically? He was raising around. He was raising around. Um, he had put together a bunch of people and you know, he had a couple of VCs in there, but it was mostly angels, people who were at Facebook and maybe had an exit. Okay. And he said, basically, like, um, you know, we are we I was I, I don't think it disclosed how much they raised. I mean, it's been out in the press a bit, but, you know, it was in the it was in the single millions because, you know, he didn't need a lot of cash to do what he wanted. And he said, you know, here's the docs. If you're interested, you can invest as much as you want. Um, and I. You know, that was it. it was, so he, already they, had a lead in every, he already had a lead in everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing about these deals now, they're so simple, right? I started my career as a venture capitalist um, in, you know, in the early 2000s. And all the deals were, you know, it was it was not like today where you have safe notes or everything super structured. Um, most of the deals I look at are pretty simple, right? Was I mean, that, I, I, was that before? By the way, the, the public information on that round was December 2011, a $480,000 seed round. Um, it, that's the round that's you invested in 2011, right? I, I invested in early 2012. Okay, good. Got it. So the 2012 round. Well, okay. Yeah. Same, basically same thing, right? December. Yeah, it was the same. I think I was a convertible. Um, yeah. you know, one of those kinds of things. Yeah, that's great. They, and, and I think the history, again, this is all just public data I've collected. You know, July 2012 was a $2.7 million Series A and that jumped three years later, 2015 to a $100 million Series B by Sherpa and TPG. Exactly. So pretty good. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. So and, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and you know, that's just one example. Obviously, that's a great one to talk about because it's a ridiculous example. And, you know, that's a, that doesn't happen every day. But I've had, you know, several other businesses have done similar and some have gone nowhere. But the idea is to do a bunch of them to diversify and then over time build, you know, a real portfolio. 
on paper, is this your most successful investment angel-wise so far? It is. It is, although I have two that are um, that are close behind. What are the other, uh, what are the other two? I have one called a uh, blue smart, mm-hmm. which is a smart suitcase company. And they went through Y Combinator. They did a, this is a company that, uh, that is uh, started by a team out of Argentina and they did a Indiegogo campaign to do some pre-sales thinking they would mean we saw a couple hundred grand and did over 2 million. Interesting. Um, that was back in January, in, January, 2015, right? Precisely. Precisely. Interesting. And what um, was the other one? The other ones are called uh, Affinity, and it's a big data company. And the reason I it's it's for the call center space. And the reason that uh, I came into that one is actually it's a, it's from my old private equity days. It's a company I was on the board of. Um, the team spun it out, and it was a business I knew intimately well. And then McKinsey came in and invested. And so my kind of view is if McKinsey's coming in, this, this is a place I want to be. And so for people listening right now that are thinking about like getting into a deal, their friend brought them or things like that. I mean, a lot of people, just the downside of this, I know a lot of people that have lost a lot of money, people that have sold their companies for you know a billion dollars and then become an angel investor and lose a crap ton. Uh, yes. How do you, I mean, I'm sure you've had losses, right? I mean, how do you balance it or how many deals do you have to do before you can be sure there, there's a, you know, a big exit in the, in the portfolio? Yes. Well, we know what happens a lot of times. So when I when I started doing this, I really thought about what the mistakes I'd seen in my career as an investor, because I had invested in over 20 businesses all over the world. My I always did private equity in emerging markets in the hardest places in the world. So Pakistan and Turkey and Argentina and Colombia. So I'd seen basically anything that could ever go wrong with a business and lost plenty of money as, as an investor working in a fund. And when it came to my own money, I was not willing to make those mistakes again if I could avoid it. And what I see with people that are angel uh, investors it happens all the time. And I had a call the other day that tells you exactly the problem with a guy who was a major hedge fund. You know, he runs a, his family office now. It's hundreds of millions of dollars, if not a billion dollars. And he was telling me about the investments he had made and he invested in friends companies. And he always cut his friends the sweetest deals ever, and they always end up in trouble and he didn't know what to do. So as an investor, there's a couple of things that I I think are really critical. Number one is you have to invest in your areas of expertise. You have to stay close to home in terms of your knowledge base. Number two, you have to make sure that you, you, these may be your friends, but you cut a commercial deal. And, you know, there's no mates rates in these kinds of things. And that it helps to have outside investors when you do these things. And number three is um, don't follow other people. So I've had so many investors come to me with deals that say, well, Kleiner Perkins is in this deal. And my view is if Kleiner is in this deal, I mean, I'm honored to look at it. It's really nice, but they probably are showing it to me because it's not one of their best ones. Because if it were that great, they'd take the whole thing themselves or they'd get, you know, some other A-list investors. So I think staying away from what I call the wildebeest syndrome or just following other people, that's where a lot of people make mistakes. There's a hubris, you know, there's sort of like this, this, this personal um, sort of pride that people get thinking it's sort of like bragging rights there in certain companies. And yep. that's, that's great for, you know, the cocktail party, but it's not a great way to make money. Yep. Good. Okay, good. There's a lesson, right? Not a great way to make money that way. It's good for cocktail parties though. But Patrick, take us back real quick. Cause you said you were with AIG. Were you, was the hedge fund stuff and the, and the, and the VC stuff before or after that? Uh, I was working in the private equity fund of AIG, oh. uh, which is, was totally unrelated to the crisis. But as anybody who was around 2008 knows, or, you know, maybe your company's doing this now, because 2016 wasn't much better in many ways. It doesn't matter when you're on the deck of the Titanic and it starts to sink. It doesn't matter where you're seated on the deck. And we yep. had nothing to do with the failure of AIG, but we were our business. You know, we, we just blew up basically. Yeah. Okay. The 10% entrepreneur. Why? I mean, you're you're successful. You're printing money. You're having a lot of success. Why on earth take all the time that you have to take to go write a book? 
uh, basically because it's a funny story. I got I was getting so many I spent so much time telling people how to do this on a daily basis. So I would every day have a lunch with one other person that I knew who wanted to start doing this because, you know, even if they didn't have money, a lot of my friends and I've done it, too. You just trade your time and get sweat equity. Right. So half my portfolio, I've just gotten sweat equity for those things. And a lot of my friends were like, you know, listen, I have good contacts. I have things that I want to do outside of work. I want to make some more money. I'm bored with my job, whatever the reasons were. And so as I started meeting with these people, it occurred to me that actually I could sort of help people. And, and I really believed in what I was doing. And after 2008, I felt sort of this moral imperative to try to help as many people avoid the stakes that I had as possible. So that's why I wrote the book. And it's been a blast. Actually, I loved writing anyway. And so writing the book was sort of one of the most enjoyable things I've done. I did it in a month. So it wasn't like it took, you know, tons and tons of time. I mean, I just sat down. I lived in, a, in, a, in an apartment in Maine during the middle of the winter. There were three feet of snow on the ground. And that convinced me to get it done really quick. Got it. And what is the walk me through the process? So it's obviously it's called the 10% entrepreneur. Uh, it's a collection of these stories of people you've had you had lunch with uh, a lot of yeah. people listening are thinking about writing their own book. So so why did you decide to publish it with a publisher versus self publish it? Yeah, my number one. So my, there were a couple things I wanted to achieve. The number one thing was I was not a well known sort of media figure. And I felt that it would be valuable to have a big publisher behind me in order to give me that credibility. And I also, as I got into it, found that the, the editorial process and having a great editor, you know, so many people write terrible books because they don't have great editors. A great editor can take reasonably good content and make it really terrific. That was a B, I wanted to be global. And so having Penguin now, the books out in Spanish and Korean and Japanese and Chinese. How many and, copies have sold? Uh, we, you know, you never really have the updated figures. My sense is somewhere around 50,000 at this point. And why is that? Why do you don't know? Well, does the penguin just hold it back or what? We, you know, you just don't get updated. You get them on a, every six months. Um, it's publishing, by the way, if anybody wants to disrupt something here, uh, I understand people are disrupting, pu disrupting publishing, but the data side of publishing is extraordinarily antiquated. Well, like Patrick, how do you, I mean, I'm turning very capitalistic here for a second. Yep. I, I imagine you did a deal where maybe what you get 20% royalties on sales. You get around 10% okay. at a traditional publisher. So how do yep. you know, like, if you don't know how many you've sold, how do you know if they're paying you the royalties they should be paying you or not? You get reports every six months. So your agency works with them. It's like you get it. It's just in delay. And so oh. the last one I got was like two days after the book came out or something like that. Got but it. what I see from basically some of the reading the tea leaves and talking to the local publishers is that it's done really well. Um, like we're, you know, a bestseller in South Korea. I was in Saudi Arabia last month and like people started coming up to me that were South Korean and they my pictures on the front in South Korea. So they recognized me and I asked them about it and they said, yeah, it's actually really taken off. So that's what, the kind of stuff that happens. Yeah. What did you, another critical thing about these early negotiations and book launches is obviously advances. Did you decide to try and negotiate for an advance? And if so, what would it come out to? Yeah. So my advance was in the high, uh, let's see, what it was, it was in it's somewhere around 100K. Okay. Um, and how'd you which negotiate? Is, which that? is good. These, I have my agent. My agent went there. She went in like a barracuda. She's amazing. <laughs> Who's your agent? Her name is Mildred. She works out, she's actually based in London at United Agents. She represents the, all the people. Now she's she's also does a lot of actors and people who are on Dancing with the Stars in the UK. So I'm her least glamorous client, but <laughs> she's uh, an amazing woman. She is a 10% entrepreneur. She's a, she's actually like a, a top 10 uh, ballroom dancer, but also, you know, she was an econ major at Harvard. So Which she, firm is she with, though? Like what? United. Oh, she's with UTA. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Very good. And how did you meet her? Did you meet her at, at AIG or I mean, how did you guys connect? Actually, one of the people, again, it goes back. This is what my whole ethos has been for the book. 
somebody asked me to lunch to figure out how they could do this themselves. I talked to him. He had been a, a trader at Deutsche Bank. Guy went to Harvard, math major, got blown out in the crisis, wanted to figure out what to do with his life. I told him this idea. He said, my best friend from Harvard is a literary agent. You should talk to her. That's how I met her. So like, give you know, you go out there, you, if you're, gen- I, this is a little bit like hokey, but if you're generous to the world, and I think you, you are, Nathan, you create tons of content that's out there for people to listen to. It comes back to you in so many different ways, right? Yeah, no, I, I understand it totally. Um, how did talk me through sales? I mean, how do you drive? I mean, did you have a big like email list? I mean, how did you drive the initial 50,000 units? Yeah, it is. It is so hard. This, <laughs> if you want to publish a book, you should know how hard it is. It's, it's a wonderful. And if you like it, then it's totally fine. I have found you never really know what exactly works. I had a decent pre-order. That is campaign. so frustrating for entrepreneurs who are like data driven and experimental. Yes, it really is. And it's and I find it to be, you know, from my experience investing in startups, it's like running a startup with like, but you know, you're, you're driving in the car has sort of like, you need to turn on the windshield wiper. <laughs> you can't a little bit. Um, there's a couple of things that I believe have moved the needle. Number one is you do certain media, like a certain podcast, you know, I did like entrepreneur on fire or the art of manliness and you see a bump in your sales. Uh, the fact that I'm in physical bookstores and people discover it, I get so many emails from people who were at Barnes and Noble, like the baseball coach at Carnegie Mellon university called me up one day or sent me a note. He found it in the bookstore and he loved it. And then people buy like 10 copies. You people who love your book will give it as gifts. I've noticed then uh, in Latin America, I did a half an hour live hit on CNN and Espanol because I speak Latin, uh, I speak Spanish. And that, you know, right away after I, I checked Amazon uh, in, in Mexico and I was the number one book in Latin America for my category. So, so, so you don't those, know how many you sell, but you can see on Amazon, the rank will update immediately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then, you know, six months later, you find out. Um, But I've also created this whole machine. I have a a group that does all my social, all my database management. So we have obviously a database we've built with all the usual tricks that everybody does. And I do it all out of Venezuela. So it's all bilingual. um, And they're amazing. I have Venezuela, you know, if any of you have been following, it's a country that has really had a terrible decade. And so you have all these talented people who can't find work. And there's a firm there that brought all these amazing top talent people together and they do work for the States and it's awesome. And it's also more affordable. So it's not RGA by any chance, is it? No, no, it's called motion. Uh, they're unbelievable. Uh, so that's what I've done. You know, it's a process, right? It's like anything else. There's really, if you're thinking about doing this and and I hope some of you are, and I hope I'd love to hear from you, you think there's going to be one thing or you think it's going to be, you're going to go viral a la some of the people have done. Those are very, that's the, you know, 0.001%. The real way it works is you just simply have to be out there. You have to have an authentic message. You have to be able to tell that story and you have to enjoy doing it because you're going to be doing a lot of it. So Patrick, I imagine you created a little safety net for yourself from kind of AIG salary, but a lot of angel investing, I mean, it takes time to pay off. So like, I mean, this is going to be a little naive, but how are you paying your bills today? So that's why I have my day job. So I have my firm. I sit on some boards of companies. I advise the World Bank. I have other clients and that that, you know, that covers cost of life in New York City. But what I realized when I was doing that, and I think a lot of people these days, you know, it's in a way it's like freelancing, I guess. And freelancing is great in terms of flexibility, but you build zero wealth. Mm -hmm. And that's why I came up with this idea, because I had been at a venture capital firm. I had been at a private equity firm and I knew what it was like to build, well, you know, carry in the funds and things like that. So I thought, how can I do this myself? How can I kind of combine freelancing with entrepreneurship to do things to create wealth in the long run? And so it's been it's been um, a very effective way to do that with the understanding that which you 
correctly said is these are not overnight things, right? The average startup goes from series A to exit in seven years. So you have to have, you have to build, you know, this long-term portfolio. You can also, I invest in real estate as well, which, you know, gives me dividends and what things kind? like that. What kind? Residential or commercial? Commercial. Commercial. My best friend is a real estate guy. I find deals. We do them together. Interesting. And what do you typically, I mean, is it like a business? You just buy equity and then you get a dividend on the equity? Yeah, we'll buy, you know, for example, he has, uh, he's based in, in, in Miami. Uh, there was a company I had been on the board of years ago that needed to do a sale lease back on its building, on its headquarters. And so I knew the company well. I heard about this, called them up. And basically we, we bought the, uh, we bought the building from them. He lines up financing. He's got a really deep sort of network of investors. And then, how, uh, much, how much was the building? Just so we get a sense of size. Of you deal. know, it was probably less than 20 million. It was like between okay. 10 and 20 probably. Um, but it was a kind of business, it was a kind of building where, uh, we were able to generate actually venture capital like returns on this one deal. It was an unbelievable deal. Um, that's Why? not just because you said appreciated or what it was, it appreciated. We had a really great tenant and then the market, we got it at a really great valuation. Timing. And so it was, it was totally timing the company really needed the cash. He's an amazing, this guy had worked in some big funds in, in New York. And so he knows how to structure deals in a really smart way. Um, so that's like, that's a great example. I don't know a ton about real estate. I can find deals, but I partner with the best so that we could do, do deals and make really great returns. If I did it on my own, that would be, I'd probably, you know, not be telling you that story because I would have lost all my money. <laughs> like I told you guys at the top of this episode, I have amazing data and you guys know from my interview style, I love data. But what I love more than data is making it actionable via beautiful dashboards that I can view on my phone, on my TVs in my living room, or even on my laptop as I'm traveling. And the company that I use to create these dashboards, which pulls in data from my Libsyn backend, my Google Analytics backend, Salesforce, and other data sources is called Clipfolio. You can see an example executive dashboard or my social media command center or my web metrics dashboard at nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. That's nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. And you can try it there for free for three months. It's Clipfolio. You can try it free for three months. Everybody else has to pay. So you get it free for three months. Alan's a good friend. He's the CEO of the company. He came on the show. I said, I love your product. Can I feature it? So nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. Go check it out now. Okay, Top Tribe, as many of you know, I sold Heyo, and everyone is always asking me what my expenses were when I was building Heyo. Well, a big expense was that I spent over three grand per month on financial services to keep me out of trouble in terms of taxes. You know, my mom would always harbor me, Nathan, you gotta keep all your receipts and put them in a freaking box or something to make sure you don't get an audit or things like this. I'm like, mom, I'm a millennial. You think I'm gonna keep all these receipts? I now use FreshBooks. I use their mobile app to take a picture of receipts and it makes taxes a cinch. Additionally, I don't have to hire a $3,000 per month person to manage all my finances. It's like saving so much money and my mom's happy. Additionally, I don't waste a bunch of time creating invoices. I use their templates and I can avoid using Word templates or Excel files. I just use FreshBooks to quickly send out invoices and it works like a charm. To get your free first month, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. <laughs> Patrick, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Besides your own, what's your favorite business book? I love The Lean Startup. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, Sheryl Sandberg. 
number. You think she's COO, gonna, but by the way, know, you think she's going to run in 2020? I, if she does, I will be uh, there marching alongside her. I think she's amazing. I think she will. Oh, there's been rumors about Mark too. I can't imagine if they've actually confronted each other directly on that. Like Cheryl, hey, <laughs> I don't want to run at the same time as you. Are you doing 2020, or should I take 2036, or how do you want to split it up? Right? I hope he waits. <laughs> I think I love Mark, but. One thing I've learned is as a CEO, you have you have so much power. And I think we're seeing now how that plays out. She knows how DC works. I think she'd be much better. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have like Acuity Scheduling? Yeah, um, I love Quip. Quip, what does that Quip do? It's a collaborative a messaging tool that you can share content back and forth. Really great. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oof, ranges from six to 12. Oh, well, 12. Okay, that's great. Six to 12. That's wonderful. I was in Paris last weekend. I slept for 12 hours and I, it was quiet. That's why. But <laughs> last night I slept six. <laughs> and what's your situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? I am single, no kids, but uh, that will obviously change at some point. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I always put, I always update this to say not married because people are like, I don't want my, my spouse or my, my boyfriend or girlfriend to hear this and think that, you know, I don't like him anymore. Yeah. Right. That would be terrible. <laughs> yeah. And, and how old are you, Patrick? I am 40. All right. Last question. Take us back 20 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? I wish that I had had, uh, the, uh, more confidence in my abilities. I think I spent a lot of time collecting things on my resume and not doing enough out in the real world because I felt like I needed to have all these stamps before I could actually do anything. I wish I had been more experimental and just gone out and tried more things. Guys, there you have it from Patrick McGinnis. He went down with the AIG Titanic, but he learned a bunch along the way in private equ- in their private equity arm. Started uh, having daily lunches with folks kind of in this space, really focused on making smart investments and really becoming a 10% entrepreneur, which he turned into a book. It sold over 50,000 copies. He negotiated with his, with his killer UTA agent, Mildred, over in the UK. His publisher's Penguin. It's about 10% royalty and somewhere around a six-figure it Vance, go grab the book, Patrick McGinnis. Thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks a lot. If you enjoyed Patrick today, go back and listen to Clayt Mask yesterday. He breaks down why Infusionsoft did not IPO, how they passed $100 million in annual current revenue, and how they raised $125 million. It would mean the world to me if you guys got any value from this episode, if you would go leave a review on iTunes right now and then subscribe. You know, I hustle like heck to get these episodes out every freaking day for you guys. And trust me, I love it. I would do it with no listeners. But boy, oh boy, it makes my day and it makes my team's day when we see great reviews and get your feedback. So thanks so much. Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right, when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money, HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's HostGator.com forward slash Nathan.